We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Paul, all by my lonesome, because my partner in crime, Michael Stewart's off with his wife and his mom for Mother's Day. By the way, happy Mother's Day to my own wife, Jen, and my two lovely daughters who will one day be mothers, and also, of course, to my mom, who has never listened to this show, just gives me weird looks whenever I talk about it. So anyways, we are, because we are running a skeleton crew tonight, we want to just... Just give you opportunity to spend some time with some of the current players 
and some of the history that goes with this roster. And so tonight, first, we have an interview with Roger Brown. The yes, that Roger Brown, a member of not one but two fearsome foursomes, one with the Lions and then one later on with the Rams. And then also, we are going to talk with new Rams defensive lineman Tyrell Thompson from Tarleton State University. He will be on his way out to join the rookies this week. It's just a really nice interview with him. Really nice guy. Really enjoy the interview with him. Uh, before we do, we'll let you know that hey, we, our episode here is sponsored by Jim Hawk and his book Hollywood's Team. And also, we are available anywhere. Podcasts can be found, including Spotify, SoundCloud, and Spreaker. You can also find our podcast listed on Clutch Points. Folks, right now, we actually could use a little bit of help. We have contests underway to try and get our feedback up a little more on iTunes, get up the charts. So if you could, head over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. Once with 200 five-star reviews, one lucky winner will receive a semi-final argument to NFLShot.com. This is how it works. Head over to iTunes. Leave a five-star review and send us an email at ransom1945 with a copy of your entry so we know who to reward. We will also read your feedback on the air. Okay. By the way, don't forget, Ransom Center and Bunning Hands is still going, so throughout the week, you might be on summer break. The NFL might be on summer break, but we are not going on summer break. Check it out. All right. So first things first, here's our interview with Roger Brown. Roger, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Uh, when I got in touch with you the other day, I was completely thrown off by a statement you made. And during the statement, you said you talked about being 81 years old and working full-time running your business. How are you keeping up this pace? Well, I have never stopped in all my life. I've always I played football. I did this. I did that. And if I could still breathe and look, I'm doing it. I know in my heart what I want to accomplish. I go get it done. That's all. And I don't want my body to slow me up. I just motivate it. <laughs> and there it starts. And when it came to football itself, you got started playing that game. You went to the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, which unbelievably to me, after a while, cut off their football program. What was it like playing in such a small school and establishing yourself as a, as a football well, player and as a man? You know, I gotta, I gotta, if I could just back up a little bit. Sure. And I gotta tell you, when I was living in, in Virginia, my dad moved up to a place called Nyack, New York. And we went up to live with him from my grandma's house. While at Nyack High School, I was on the safety patrol, and I had to patrol the stadiums, and I watched these kids play football, and it looked so interesting, and it looked like that's what I want to do. And I went out for the team a couple of days later, and that's the beginning. I've always wanted to play football from that point in my life, and my goal in my yearbook states that I want to play in the National Football League. And eventually you do. You become you know somebody who is drafted in the fourth round by the Detroit Lions. 
But the draft these days is much different than what it was back then. What was the draft process like for you in 1960? We know, we all know it's a big deal now. Television cameras covering the event every year in Indianapolis for the Combine, and then later on wherever the draft's at in New York or Dallas. But it's much different then. How did it go down for you getting drafted by the Detroit Lions? Well, it was a situation at Maryland State. We had 250 students. And a little bit before me, there were some great football players from tiny Maryland State. I remember being drafted out of Nyack High School and offered a scholarship to Duke University. We had a coach up in Nyack High, and he said, Roger, they don't know who you are. (laughs) Because back then, everything was still segregated. And I decided to just, when Maryland State came up to talk to me, I said, okay, I'm going to go there. Then they came down to sign me up after I was drafted number four. And and the rest, they gave me a $300 signing bonus. Do you hear that? <laughs> That's Three, crazy. <laughs> $300 signing bonus. My contract was for $8,000. They took the $300 signing bonus that they gave me out of the eight, and my contract read $7,700. And I still have that freaking thing. Wow. But I knew then, and then from there, I got drafted, and I was excited because back then I would have paid them to play. That's how bad I wanted to play in the NFL. Then I got an opportunity to play in the college all-star game in Chicago. And that was exciting. So I've had things kind of happen to me. I've been available, and boy, it just happened. And I said, yes, I want to do it. You, you mentioned the segregated, you know, nature of where you played and so on and so forth. And yeah. I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't recognize the fact that you're growing up and you're playing at a time that we're seeing the end of Jim Crow. And um, what, what difference does it make for you becoming an NFL player during that time in your life? The difference was that I knew the element that I came out of. I knew that I had a point to prove. I knew I was given an opportunity to go out and kick butt. And that's what I did. And I'll never forget that. But I never balled up my fists and tried to fight people because of what I thought I was treated as, I just took the good with the bad and made it all good. And you did. You were absolutely dominant with the Lions. You know, you spent quite a few, seven years at the Detroit Lions, made some great memories there. Roger, personally, what are some of your best memories from your time in Detroit? 
Well, the best memories was meeting a good friend of mine in the college all-star game, a kid named Gail Cogdale. And Gail and I became friends because we knew we were going to come to Detroit together. And we remained friends up until a few months ago when he passed away. Um, but the friendship with the guys that you had a chance to play with, with the fans, how you were treated in the town that you played. And I just felt that I had the best of all the worlds. Your outlook on life is is refreshing, actually. I mean, just looking at this and going, you, you were in a time where we're seeing so many changes with race in our country, the NFL is growing, and you're just grateful to be there. And But you, you were, I mean, you get to play. You, you didn't play on just one version of the Fearsome Foursome. You played on two versions of the Fearsome Foursome, the Detroit Lions version and the Los Angeles Rams version. What was special well, about... I'm sorry, go ahead. What was special about that first first and fourth with, with the Lions? How did you guys play together so well? Well, at that time, there was we were the original first and fourth in Detroit. Okay? Mm-hmm. And we went out to kick. I had an opportunity to get drafted by George Allen when he traded for me from the from the Lions. And I played with a group that, as far as I'm concerned, were not the fearsome foursome. The Detroit Lions were the fearsome foursome. But when I went out, I took the name with me. And those were a great bunch of guys to play with. Anytime you can play football with Merlin Olson, Deacon Jones, Lamar Lundy, Maxie Bond, I mean, those guys were just awesome. And I had a great career in Detroit with Alex Karras, Darius McCord, Sam Williams. So it was almost like an extension and continuation of my career. I didn't particularly like going from one team to the next, but I took it as an, as an opportunity. Why did the Lions trade you to the Rams? I haven't found that out yet completely, but I have heard from Joe that when he was coaching with the Lions, he needed a quarterback. And they had to pay a good price for a quarterback. So I don't know how I how I am in the mix. <laughs> but I'll accept that, and that's good enough for me. So you were known uh, for the head slap technique, and that was what Deacon Jones is also pretty well known for. It's currently banned. Many of our young listeners have never had the head slap explained. I mean... It sounds just like you just whack somebody across the head, but with anything in the NFL, especially in the trenches, there's technique to it. How did the head slap work during that time? Well, I did start the head slap, and I used to tell Deacon, because he wrote a book about it, I said, Deacon, I started the head slap. You didn't. 
And he said, you started it, but I perfected it. (laughs) 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 But the thing is that when you are playing defensive tackle and you're 300 pounds and you're playing in front of a guy like Jim Parker, who's more than 300 pounds, you've got to take an advantage of whatever you need. We had a coach when I was in college, and that's Earl Banks, who went on to coach at Morgan State after Maryland. And he said to all of us back then, if you get the head going left to right, the body's got to follow or the head's coming off. So I always remembered that, and I'd just get the head going, and I had enough power in my arms to to get the head. And it wasn't like a baseball. Mm-hmm. It was palm of my hand and my fist sometime, get the head going, and i go around them. You you just mentioned something big there, too. You mentioned the fact that you were over 300 pounds. You were one of the few players at that time that played over 300 pounds. They just players just right. weren't that big. How did you use your weight to an advantage on the field, and what did teams try to do to you to, to neutralize the advantage you had? Well, I was a pretty heavy guy, but I also had a lot of speed. I, I wasn't the slowest, but I remember running a 50-yard dash in 5.8 seconds. And any time you get a guy my size, 300-plus pounds, that can run that fast, you've got a lot of things to overcome because nobody's going to creep up behind you and clip you because they can't catch you. But I don't know what to say about it. I've just been fast all my life. When I was in high school, I was a fullback. When I was in college, I got drafted as a fullback tackle. So I've always ran pretty fast. So it wasn't it wasn't just power, but it was in weight. It was just the, the fact that you were basically at the time genetically ahead of your time because nobody was you know big and fast like that come 1960s. That, that's something that kind of developed over time. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. And that so and that gets me thinking because you you finished your career. As a two-time All-Pro, six Pro Bowls in ten years, you were named as part of the 1960s All-Decade team. You were on the second team for that. And given the defensive line talent that decade, that's an amazing accomplishment. So I guess this is a tough question for me to ask, but it blows my mind. How the heck are you not in the Hall of Fame for the pros? Well, you know what? It's almost like I need to hire an agent or something. (laughs) But I don't know. I'm in eight different Hall of Fames. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I'll make the National Football League Hall of Fame before I die. And if I don't, my kids will worship me. Now, you, you, do, um, you do have, you know, in your email back to me, you did mention, hey, you know, support that. You know, there's a couple guys from that era that I believe really have been overlooked. You're one of them. Your teammate, Eddie Metter. I believe Eddie? he's been Eddie Matter when you play with him now. Yeah. I, I believe he's been oh, overlooked. Yeah. He should be in the Hall of Fame. And 
at some point here, the NFL needs to go back and look at some of these veterans they've, that they've let slip through the cracks because, you know, for you being just on that on that all decade team, on a you know that defensive line talent during that age is is un. It's, I can't even explain how how deep that is, and for you to make a second team, six Pro Bowls during that time, it just blows my mind that you're not in the Hall of Fame yet. I'm I'm bewildered to say the least. But you know, I played, and I think because I got drafted or I got traded from the Lions to the Rams, I think a lot of people have forgotten that I played in the all the Pro Bowl, not Pro Bowl, Super Bowl. No, yeah, Pro Bowl. I played in it six times with Detroit and three with L.A. So I was I was in there quite a quite a few times, and a lot of people have forgotten the game that we used to have at uh, Pete Rozelle started mm-hmm. in Miami, the runner up bowl. Because yes, before yes. the merger, there used to be the Eastern Division, the Western Division. And in 1960, we, or the Lions, went down and played the Steelers. Well, I, I played in that thing a total of ten times. And when you really look at it, that means out of my career, I came in five or six or whatever the heck it was, second, second place that many years. What do you mean by second place? I mean, like, uh, in terms of... Well, the, the second place teams out of the Western Division oh, oh. and the Eastern Division played each other in the, in the Orange Bowl, and they used to call it the runner-up bowl. We called it the toilet bowl. <laughs> <laughs> but it was to raise money uh, for, the, for the NFL. And the player's retirement. Oh, but okay. I played in it a lot of years. The playoff ball. I remember that. I do. I remember reading about that. And I, I just saw an article about that the other day about how the, um, the NFL, the question was, why, they, why do they even do that? Was it a waste of time? And you, you basically explained they used to raise money for the, for the, uh, the league and the, and the players. For the players' pension, sure. Yeah. Okay. So... Focusing on your time with the Rams and stuff, you played three seasons part of the Fearsome Foursome, you know. And here's the, here's the thing: is you know we no longer have Deacon Jones with us. We no longer have Merlin Olson with us. Many of the members of the Fearsome Foursome for the Rams, they're no longer with us. So you're one of the link. You're one of our links, not just to you in your history, but also to that history. So what was it like playing alongside Jones, Olson, and Lundy? It was it was awesome to play with them. They were a great bunch of guys to play with. And I'm just honored that I had an opportunity to play with them. It is kind of sad that when I think about the other three guys that I played with, they've all passed away. And the only one that played that I went out to replace because of a torn Achilles tendon, was Rosie Greer, who came out of the Giants. And and uh, there you go. This is one of those times where you sit back and you just listen, Roger. I mean, 
Um, you, you have to. I guess you have to understand where we are here. Rams talk. We we're heavily focused on the history of this franchise, and you're a link to that. And it means so much to me personally. I'm, I'm a history teacher in real life. I teach history in high school, and um, yeah. this is my passion right here. We're getting to the, the passion questions where I can really dig into to the history of the game and. Just to hear you talk about Deacon Jones, Merlin Olson, L- Lamar Lundy, your career is—it's—it's it's special, you know. This little by little, you're mentioning it. Jones, Olson, Lundy; these guys are gone, and with that goes a lot of history and, and a lot of memories. And so, you are a link to that. And I just want to get as much from you as possible as what it meant, what were what was special about these guys, and and. And what made you three, you four, you four work so well as a unit? Well, the thing is that the thing is that's great is that we did a lot, and and Rosie Roosevelt Greer stayed around in the LA area and on the team, and George Allen had a plan for him to come back once his Achilles healed. And he was going to have a five-man defensive line, or fearsome, fearsome fivesome, as you could call it. <laughs> um, but Ro- Rosie today is still alive. And so there's, out of all of us, and you got to say, he also played with a great group with the New York Giants. And to play and be on the same team even though I didn't play with him, it was exciting just the thought that he might come back. And in the back of my mind, no, he's not going to take his position back. He's not good enough. What what made that group, that includes you, the, what made the combination of you, Deacon Jones, Merlin Olson, and Lamar Lundy so good at what you did in the field? What did you guys do together that, that made you so special? Well, the thing that we did was we had competition among each other. We had competition from teams that I came from with Detroit, the original Fearsome Foursome. So Deacon, Lamar, and these guys had something to prove. They wanted to prove that they were a better team. I wanted to prove that by going out to L.A. from Detroit, we're going to have a better foursome. And it was just great. And then we did singing. We did records. <laughs> we were on Holly, Hollywood, Hollywood Bowl, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. So, well, we got to sing. We got to do a little bit of everything. What is your, your best memory? Like your your best game as a Ram, what was it? I'd say all of them. I can't pick one because I played just as hard and against any team that came to the Coliseum or any team that we went to visit. They're in for a rough day. You you retired though, Roger, at age thirty-two. Okay, yeah, and. Which, I mean, to me, is still considered fairly young. Why did you walk away from the game? Well, I had started restaurants in Chicago. And the money that George or the Rams were paying me 
was peanuts compared to what I was doing with a restaurant. So I just decided to get out of football and take care of the restaurants. It was easier on my body. Now, let me ask a tough question here. I mean, and I don't don't take it any kind of wrong because I don't know. Um, is the fact that you retired at 32 possibly a reason why you haven't gotten in the Hall of Fame yet, that maybe they, w- they wanted more longevity? Well, I don't know. I don't know their rules and regs uh, or criteria for the Hall, but I'm in the College All-Star or College Hall of Fame, the Black College Hall of Fame, the NIAC. I'm in eight different Hall of Fames. And if I'm not there, my heart is there with them. And if I don't make it, I just don't make it. But I'm not going to spend the next few years of my life trying to get in the Hall of Fame. To give you one thing that I think is outstanding, the city of Portsmouth, Virginia, is doing an appreciation parade and day for me. Wow. For living in Portsmouth and being a part for for helping the city, doing whatever. So maybe some of these things people will wake up and say he kind of deserves something more than, yeah, he played. Well, and Portsmouth honoring you that way also says a lot about what you've been doing since retiring from the NFL. You've long been active in, in the community. And, you, of course, your restaurant chain, Roger Brown's, is, is successful. Uh, can you give us just an, uh, an eye view of, over time since retirement, what you've been doing in the community just to help make the world a better place? Well, I have a, a scholarship program with the Roger Browns Foundation that we give scholarships to graduating high school students for college. Um, I am still active in this town, and we do a lot of things here. I do a lot. We have uh, uh, the Boys and Girls Clubs of Virginia that we raise money for and that we work with, Starbase Victory. And we have an Edmark hospice for kids that we support. So you could call it fun. You could call it activity. You could call it still. It's Roger Brown. It's like the fearsome foursome playing for the community in the town. And you know, you've been well known, you know, throughout the area. I just in, in my preparation for the for the interview, that's one thing I caught was the the community involvement and also the involvement of your restaurant. You mentioned it earlier how you were starting restaurants in Chicago and so on, and now here you have Roger Brown's. Tell us about Roger Brown's. You know, hopefully some of those Ram fans that, move, that visit the East Coast can come out and and see you. Uh, tell us about the restaurant, this restaurant chain, how how it got started and. You know, just well, what kind of cuisine you offer? Let me let me kind of build you up a little bit here. Okay. When I lived in San Diego, and after my restaurants in Chicago, 
I sold the restaurants in Chicago, went with McDonald's, ended up as a regional supervisor for them, covering 11 states out west. And that includes all of from California almost to Texas. And I decided that with these restaurants, they could make me stronger than I am. So I ended up buying one. I ended up with three of them here in Virginia. Then I decided I think I should own more than just one or two and pay rent and service fees. And I started Roger Brown's. And I bought a building in downtown Portsmouth that used to be a Woolworth. So there you go. I have Roger Brown's Restaurant and Sports Bar, which is 32,000 square feet. I have the Cove Restaurant up in Newport News, which is beautiful. And that goes pretty good. We at one time had a restaurant in Williamsburg, and we got rid of that. And we also have just ventured out into a brewery. So we have, uh, and we gave it the name after the mo- after the Monitor Merrimack. You got to excuse me. Sure. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. But it, it's called the Monitor Merrimack from the Civil War ironclad mm-hmm. ships, and we call it Momac Brewery. So we brew our own beer. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I, you know, I, I, got, I have to go back here because you – this kind of wraps around to the beginning here when you talked about how hard you were working. And think, you're 81 years old, <laughs> and you yeah. are starting breweries. And, I mean, it's, it's kind of inspiring. What, what would you say to today's youth in our country who are struggling, who are, you know, having a really hard time finding their footing as an 81-year-old man who is still a fire starter when it comes to business and making things happen? I would say to any of the kids out there today, because I know as a kid in Nyack, I used to clean out garages for people. I used to cut the grass. I did some of everything in between this and that. So just don't sit and let grass grow under your feet. Stay active. Do things that pleases you. Get out and get things done. Go ahead. is, Is that simple? Just get things done? Get things done. That's that's my motto. If it if it needs fixing, fix it. If it doesn't need fixing, polish it. <laughs> but look at things and think to yourself, how can I improve on it? What can I do to make it better? How can I get involved with these things? And that's life. It's a completely different mindset than what we're oftentimes seeing in society today. From Mars, completely different mindset. Roger, what do you have to say to the Rams fans out there who are who are old enough to remember you on the field? And you know, 
What do you want them to remember you by? I want them to remember me as someone who came in to fill a gap. And that was when Rosie got hurt and did a good job. Someone who loves the city, who had fun, and loved playing for the team and going to the studios and getting little bit parts in movies. It was exciting. It's just that take what you have and make the best of it. And that's what you did. I tried. Well, Roger, thank you for taking the time. Uh, I mean, <laughs> on a Saturday morning, you're at work. And you open the you open the restaurant, and here you are. Thank you so much for taking the time with us to talk with talk about your career, your life, and hopefully, there are a few people listening who are younger who could use a little inspiring today when they're wondering, you know, how can I get going? And they can listen to this 81 year old man who basically made it happen throughout his life. And it's still and making you know, it happen. You can also mention to the younger kids today, I own it. I work in it. I open it. But I also, from time to time, cook. I wash dishes. I clean the carpets. I just, I just stay active so that I can still get 81 and 82 coming soon. Mm-hmm. May. Yeah. All right. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. And, uh, again, just really appreciate you taking it. Thank you. Thank you, Guy. All right, folks. That was an interview with Roger Brown. I got to tell you, it was really special talking with him about his life, his career, his history. There aren't many people left like him in the world today. I'm talking about just what he gave to the game, what he's given to life, the way he lives his life. And so it was just a very special thing to just talk with him about how to live life and how he's lived his life. And I hope there is some inspiration out there for anybody out there, uh, for anybody who is looking for a little something extra than what they're finding. All right, so moving on, as part of our Mother's Day special where we don't do a whole lot of talking, you just do a whole lot of listening, we sat down earlier today with Tyrell Thompson, the Tarleton State defensive lineman who the Rams signed as an undrafted free agent. It's a really neat interview, really nice guy. Just really enjoyed just talking with him. And I got to promise you, you'll be cheering for him as time goes on. Okay, check it out. Here's Tyrell Thompson. All right, folks, I'm here with Tyrell Thompson, the new Rams defensive lineman from Tarleton State University. Tyrell, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm glad to have you on. Well, we're happy to have you on. We're really excited to get to know some of the new Rams are com- coming on, trying to make the team. And really, you, you have a big week coming up here. Like, you're you're flying tomorrow out to Los Angeles. How is this whole week going to work for you? Um, you know, I'm not sure what to expect, but I know that, you know, all the rookies are coming in tomorrow and, you know, I know we got physicals and, you know, get equipment and things like that. But, you know, as far as what we're doing football-wise, you know, I'm not sure, you know, what's going on. You know, I'll find out once I get there. But, you know, I'm excited to get there and meet, you know, other guys and, you know, see the facilities and things like that and, you know, just get going and make this thing happen. You realize your defensive coordinator is about to be Wade Phillips, the son of bum. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, that, that was crazy, though. Know, like, legendary status. So, uh, just now rewind the clock here about you. When did you start gaining the game of football? Well, I started playing my eighth grade year. Uh, we were in Virginia at the time. My dad uh, retired military, and so we were in Virginia at the time, and they didn't have middle school sports. And so um, I played in eighth grade on the junior varsity team for the high school. And so um, I played there, and I started off as a quarterback, but then like, I transitioned around. That was my first year ever playing football, so I didn't know what I was going to play exactly. And so by the end of the season, I was playing defensive line and um, offensive guards playing both ways. And then we moved back to Texas my freshman year of high school, and I walked into the weight room. And about then, I'm like a 6'2", 225 freshman. And so all the coaches thought I was, you know, upperclassman, but then I told them I was a freshman. And so I went with the freshman group, and uh, they asked me, what do you want to play? And so I wasn't sure who I wanted to play, so I told them I'd play linebacker. So I played linebacker for a couple of games, and then once we got to um, the playoffs to move up to the varsity team, and then I moved to defensive end. That's why I've been defensive line just my whole life. So, you know, I think it's a good fit for me, and I'm happy where I'm at, and, you know, it's paid off so far. So you did take a, a very interesting journey through school to get to the NFL. And right. I want to be a little sensitive about this, too, because i got to be honest and say a lot of us, um, go through different things going to school, especially me. I, I was there's a reason why I went into the military first because I didn't know mm-hmm. myself at all. So you took an interesting route to Tarleton State. How this whole how this whole thing work out? Um, you know, going going through high school, you know, I was a very talented player, and uh, you know, pretty much any school in America was trying to recruit me. But I wasn't taking academics seriously back then. I thought I could just get through, you know, with the athletics. And so uh, my senior year, well, my junior year that summer, I committed to University of Houston. And then, you know, I stuck with that commitment all throughout, you know, recruiting process and stuff through senior year. But um, senior year was like teams coming in every day, just, you know, recruiting me and stuff like that. And they were like telling me, like, you need to get your grades or whatever. You're going to not be able to play division on football. You know, I wasn't listening at the time. I was a 17, 18-year-old kid not knowing, you know, what the future held, basically. And so, you know, I wasn't listening to them. And so uh, I didn't end up going the JUCO route. But, um, you know, I tell people now that that was probably one of the best things that could ever happen to me because I was able to grow as a person and grow as a student. And, you know, it really helped me I mean, once I got to Charlton be able to, to go in my my classes and also play football at the same time, you know. So I don't, I don't regret going JUCO at all. You know, I, I encourage it to people who don't have the grades or people who, you know, just a little bit undersized. Like, it's not bad as people make it mm-hmm. seem. Well, I mean – We've seen people go through the JUCO routes and get themselves to the NFL. We've seen them go through JUCO to get to the NBA and to the, into Major League Baseball. It happens. Right. Um, yep. And I, I can tell you, I could totally be with you on not being focused on academics. You know what I was doing my, my junior and senior year in high school? Right. Not going to lie, man. I, it, was, it was about music and girls. It's all yep. it was. It was music and girls. And I would have family members saying, you know, grades, this. And I'd be sitting there going, yeah, I got this. I got this. Well, three hours yeah. later, I didn't yeah. quite have it. Yeah, so, me too. So, my story is actually a little bit, you know, because uh, um, I took the ACT and mm-hmm. I took it one time, and I think I had maybe like a sixteen because I didn't study at all, and so I just took it, went up, got it one morning, took it, and then uh, I know I had to take it again, and they told me you needed a nineteen to be able to like play Division One football. I got an eighteen, so like, I was that close, you know. But you know, like I said, I don't regret going to JUCO at all. No, it's it's really about the journey. 
And it's, it's weird right. talking to you about this is it hits me a little close to home personally because I would say I was a late bloomer. I went to I had to go to the military. I went got my education later. I but of all things, in my my day job, I'm a teacher. I'm a school teacher of all things, and so mm-hmm. you never know where life takes you. And if going on through uh, going through that journey makes you a better person through the whole process, a more disciplined person, and it sounds like it did, then more power yeah, to exactly. you. You, have, you seem to have more perspective. So let, let's go there next. How has that journey made you a better person, a more mature person? Definitely uh, taught me, you know, that everything's going to be given to you just because you play football. You know, that's what, you know, I had to learn coming from a small town in Texas, especially like football is king here. So, you know, every time during football season, you know, teachers passing you so you can play. But then right after football season, you know, I didn't play basketball my senior year. So I didn't have to, you know, keep my grades up per se to play, but I need to keep my grades up to, you know, play in the future. And I didn't understand that. You know, I thought that teachers knew that I was committed to a division school. So I just try to get there, you just fly by, you know, but uh, definitely going JUCO, you know, it's either you make it or you don't. And I think some people don't really understand that, you know, uh, some guys that I know went to JUCO route were great athletes, but never made it out of there. You know, these, uh, these recruiters come in and they want guys who can play on the field, but also they want guys that are going to make the university look better. And so I, I realized that, you know, I realized that I had to get my grade and also produce on the field, you know, it just helped me grow up as a man and, you know, take care of my responsibilities. So at Tarleton state, what were some of the life lessons that just being at the university teach you? Tarleton state is definitely somewhere that before, you know, before I went JUCO, I had never heard of Tarleton State at all, and it's right here in Texas. And then, you know, um, I remember after after I left that they recruited me my sophomore year. You know, just not like like small talk recruiting. They came in and talked to me, but you know, I had never paid no attention to them. I had paid attention to any Division two school until I realized I couldn't go to Division one at JUCO. And so, um, you know, Tarleton is one of the best things that's ever happened to me because everyone there. And so friendly and so family orientated. It's just the the university is growing, the campus is growing. They just got a new football stadium, and so uh, everything's really growing there. And you know, I encourage people to at least go look at Charleston State. You know, they're they're doing big things down there. We had a great season last year. You know, they have a great a number of guys coming back, and so it just really taught me a lot about you know what teamwork and family and responsibility and honesty, things like that, real life lessons, real core value lessons that I could take on with me to the NFL. Now, in terms of the actual game of football, how did playing there prepare you to go to the next level, whether it be NFL or anywhere else? Definitely. Uh, when I was at Tarleton, you know, my, my junior year, my first year there, you know, we were good on defensive line, but we didn't have, as much size as we had my senior year, as much speed. So I played everywhere, three technique, one technique, five, seven, you know, I was over the defensive line. And, you know, going back and looking at it, um, trying to make, like, highlight tapes my, for my junior year, I played mostly games almost every snap on defense. And so that helped my versatility in my game. And you know, I know how to play all these different positions. And then during my senior year, you know, I played mostly three technique and five technique. But, um that's because we were more talented. You know, we had other guys around me to take the load off my back. But in my senior year, I kind of took a uh, a role of just taking up blocks and letting the linebackers roam free or, 
you know, our outside linebackers were on free, and I accepted that. So it helped me be a team player and also helped my game as well. So talk about your game a little bit. Tyrell, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses, you know, the things you need to work on as you get now to try and make the Rams? Uh, my strength is definitely my ball get off. You know, I have a very unique ball get off. You know, first step, you know, I'm two, three yards in the backfield before, you know, especially if they're under center, that's where, you know, I can really excel at because once the ball snaps, you know, I'm into the offensive line before they can even move. And, you know, there's been times where I've beat the quarterback back to the to his drop point before he even got there. And that's how I made most of my plays. You know, they have, they have to get the ball out quick because I'm getting off the ball so fast. But, you know, it's also hurt me sometimes. They get me with draw plays and stuff like that. But, you know, that's something I've also worked on, just trying to control my ball, get off. And then the weakness I have sometimes is, you know, playing high. You know, I'm six four, so sometimes I tend to stand up. And then also lateral movement. You know, I never have to, you know, move lateral because I'm always getting off the ball so hard. So that's one thing I focused on this offseason was my lateral movement. Now, when you, you – you know – the cool thing about being someone who went through the draft and didn't get drafted is that you actually get some choices of where you to go. What made you choose the Rams? Definitely the connection I had with my area scout, you know, and the, also with my agent. He said we sat down and we talked about everything, and, you know, we looked at depth chart, we looked at numbers, and, you know, we also didn't know who they were signing, you know, free agent wise, but we saw they only took one defense alignment in the draft. And so we knew that, you know, they probably weren't going to sign the Dominican Sue back, and we know they were low on numbers and, you know, certain areas. So I thought that was the best position for me to go in and try to compete for a roster spot. And, what have the Rams had to say to you in terms of during the process when they signed you? What made them want you? What did they see? What, what did they tell you? Uh, my explosiveness and then the way that I move for how big I am. You know, they said I could fit in their scheme as a, a three uh, a three technique or sometimes even a five technique. And so just coming in and competing in those areas and, you know, um, of course, nothing's always guaranteed or anything like that. But, you know, just the fact that they don't have the numbers that they want, you know, is going in and competing. And I know it's going to be tough because, you know, I didn't go to a big Division One school. People don't know who I am. So they're going to you know, kind of automatically overlook me. But that's what, you know, I excel at. You know, I, I don't care if people overlook me. They don't know who I am. They don't know who my mm-hmm. name is. I don't care if we go out to practice one day and, you know, fans aren't calling me to sign autographs and like that. You know, that just... It makes me humble more, but it also pushes me because I want them to know who I am, things like that. So, you know, like I said, it's going to be a great opportunity for me. Well, you you just took me right to my next question. What do you want Rams fans to know about you as a, as a listening to this interview? I want them to know they're going to get a hard worker. You know, I'm a I'm a soft-spoken guy, but, you know, once uh, I get comfortable and you get to know me, you know, I'll do anything for you, you know, whether you need help painting your house or something like that, you know, I'm that type of guy, you know, I'm, I'm going to be in the community. I'm going to help out as much as possible. And then on the field, you know, like I said, I'm a team guy, you know, I put the team first and, you know, it's not always about me. Like some people tell me to right now be selfish and, you know, being selfish on the field, that's part of it. Trying to make a, a 50 man, for the 53 man team, you know, I got to be selfish there, but off the field, you know, I'm the, any type of thing you need, anybody that needs help or anything, you know, I'm that guy. So uh, they're going to get a good guy in the community and, you know, get a monster on the field also. So you actually also have your eye towards the future as well down the, down the line. And as of, am I reading this correctly? You want to be a coach one day, is that right? 
Yes. Definitely. So I do a, a segment with, with the prospects called the final five. And this is always the last question. Okay. Well, I'm going I'm to take it first because I think this one kind of rolls into that. If you could play for any coach in NFL history, any, doesn't have to be the now, anyone in NFL history, who would it be and why? I would definitely want to play for Tony Dungy because of what he did for, you know, uh, just African-Americans in general. You know, he kind of set the bar when he won that Super Bowl and, you know, just playing for him. Uh, I read most of his books and he's just a great man. I thought he teaches me a lot of, you know, things about being a man. And, you know, uh, obviously he knows his football. He's been around the game for so long. And just listening to him commentate, you know, he does football games. Is, he's just so intelligent. So to learn from him would be been truly an honor. Okay. So that's the first time I've had Tony Dungy, but i got to be honest, I'm a little surprised that there have been more because Tony Dungy is an amazing, amazing person. And, uh, right. so, yeah, finally I get someone to see Tony Dungy in the show. Okay. <laughs> so – the other, the final five here. That was number one. Here, here we go. We'll loosen up a little bit and just you know have a little fun here. What is your favorite right. movie and why? Oh man, uh, um, man, I love the National Treasure series, but my favorite movie is National Treasure uh, Book of Secrets, and just the 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 things that they do in that movie. I loved all the the historical things like that. And, you know, uh, I think to myself, like, what if someone actually tried to, you know, do this stuff? Like I wouldn't ever try it, but what if someone actually tried to do what they do in those movies, you know, like in real life, you know, so just seeing all the historical aspects that they had in that movie, just, I could watch it probably every day and not get tired of it. You're preaching to the history teacher here. I love it. Okay. <laughs> but what's your favorite sports movie and why? Sports movie. Um, let's see. Probably have to go with Remember the Titans, classic movie. Just because, uh, you know, again, it taught me some things about being a teammate. And uh, definitely when I was in high school and even college, first before the first day or two days, you know, I always watched Remember the Titans or Friday Night Lights, something like that, just to get my mind going about football again. And so those are just like classical movies that just stuck with me my whole life. You never watch The Waterboy to get prepared for a football game? Not to get prepared for a football <laughs> game. You know, sometimes when I have, when I have downtime, I watch it. But, you know, not to get prepared for a football game. It is a good movie, and, you know, it does get you fired <laughs> up sometimes. But I laugh more than get focused. So. Yeah. Captain Insano shows no mercy. Not at all. <laughs> Your favorite food? Favorite food is chicken Alfredo. Chicken Alfredo. Favorite yeah. hobby? Ooh, um, you know, I don't do much, <laughs> but, um, I hate to say it, but probably video games, that keeps me, keeps me going, you know, I don't have time for it, most of it, uh, here in the future, but, you know, right now, it's video games, every time I'm bored, I just come on the game and play some Madden or something like that. So is that your favorite one, Madden? No, I didn't definitely. I was on the Fortnite chain for a little bit, but once I came home from college, you know, it kind of died out because, you know, I didn't have, like, the free time to just sit there and play with my friends all day. But, you know, definitely Madden was one that I go to the most. 
All right. So I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show with us. Again, I know you're traveling tomorrow. You have a big week ahead of you. I'm, I'm sure you're feeling, You're probably filming. You, you'd be crazy not to feel a little bit of nerves since you don't know what's oh, yeah, going definitely. on. So uh, right. thanks again. Where can people find you on social media so at least follow your adventure? Uh, my Twitter handle is at manchild254, M-A-N-C-H-I-L-D-254. And then my Instagram is at thompsont95. And then you can find me on Facebook at Tyrell Team Rafa Thompson. That's all one word. So anybody can find me there. You know, anytime people follow me, I follow them back almost instantly. And so I'm not one of those guys who's going to just get a bunch of followers and not follow someone back, you know. So I'm definitely going to, you know, interact with the fans and stuff like that. Oh, so you're saying that when Rams Talk follows you on Twitter tonight, you're going to be like, well, follow back? Yep, instantly. <laughs> All right. So, again, thanks so much for taking the time for just to join the show. It was good to get to know you a little bit. We hope you make the team. If you can make this team better, we're trying to win a Super Bowl, as you know. And so if you can yep. make this team better and help get that, that team somewhere, then it's all the more power to, to you. And I just really appreciate it. Yes, thank you, you so much. Right, thank, thank you. you. All right, folks. just want to give a special shout-out to Tyrell for taking the time to speak with us. It was really neat that he was willing to do that the night before his flight. He's there in L.A. now getting ready for minicamp and just doing all the check-ins that go along with being a rookie. Good luck to him as well. Okay, so as we move on, we do want to just give a quick shout-out for sponsors. If you'd like to sponsor the show, reach out to us at ramstop1945 at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. Also, if you like the Angels, we have a new podcast out called Talking Halos. That's our, that's our name. And it is me and a buddy of mine talking Angels baseball. We are having some good interviews on there as well. Check it out. And we're working on the Dodgers podcast. I blame Matt Herrera for Rams Uncensored. It's all his fault. That's the name of the game, anyways. You just blame him. We're working on the Dodgers podcast. So check in with us. Check in with us on that. And we're moving forward. One thing I do want to talk about before we go today, and that is this whole deal that went out with Sean McVay this week. And with Sean McVay, he actually noted in an article that he overprepared for the Super Bowl, watched too much film, got so locked in. He actually watched even the Super Bowls from against the Falcons and the Eagles and watched every single regular season game this year that the Eagles, and the Eagles are the Patriots play. So I'm sorry that to just kind of rain on some thunder here. I don't think he overprepared. I don't think that's the case at all. That's not the evidence shows in the game. Now, could he have overprepared? Yes. But the evidence we saw in the game was somebody who was shocked by the moment, who didn't know how to respond to what the Patriots were doing. Basically, a lack of adjustment. Had nothing to do with the film he watched. It was almost as though he believed that what he was doing would eventually break down the Patriots. But that's not what Bill Belichick does. He finds holes in your game and forces you to play his game. And most of the time it works for him. There's no shame in being outcoached by Bill Belichick. He's one of the best in the business. My goal and my hope for Sean McVay is that he picks up and he learns from that. And I think he will. I'm just not sure why you would say you you overprepared. That's not what the evidence of the game shows. The game shows you weren't prepared. But who can be? 
I don't hold this against Sean McVay. I think he's an amazing man, amazing coach, and he will win at least one Super Bowl with the Rams during his lifetime, if not more. I really believe that, but no, nah, man, I'm sorry. <laughs> you weren't overprepared. You may have been overprepared in the aspect that you thought you, that you'd seen every single piece of film out there, but in terms of in-game strat, no, nah, nah, that's not what happened. But I don't blame you for, for heading down that road. All right, folks, those are all my thoughts. Uh, th- I hope you enjoyed the interview with Roger Brown. It meant a lot to us to talk with him. Hope you interviewed Tyrell Thompson. we got some more coming your way. We have more Torah in the League stuff this week, so stick with us. Also, don't forget Bunny Heads and the rest of our team, including Rams Uncensored. All good guys, even if you don't like them sometimes. Check it out. Also, forget us on Twitter at TalkRams and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. We have the Rams Talk Room group where we can talk more because Facebook is really weird about the whole, you know, all I don't know. They don't send they don't send people on our page anymore. So you can also find me on Twitter at DC Paula. Don't forget us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all those places, Google Play, Player FM, and of course iBeatRadio.com. So for the entire team, this is Derek C. Paul saying take it easy, and we'll see you midweek. Take care. in together for the first time. This can be your closet. Or you're a new parent to a little fur baby. Viva paper towels can help you maintain a clean home. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. So they clean like cloth, helping you pick up after your new pet in your new home. For an exceptional cloth-like clean, use Viva towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more and start fresh with a clean feeling of home. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.